Hi everyone and welcome to South Asia Sphere, Himal South Asia's monthly roundup of news events and developing stories across South Asia. I'm Raisa and I'm joined by my colleagues Shubhanga, Malan and Shweta. Hi guys. Hi. 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 So our big stories in this edition include an overview on uh, this new phenomenon of travel bubbles after COVID-19. In around South Asia in 5 minutes, we'll be breaking down the assembly election results in India and dubious delays in medicine and vaccine procurement among other topics. And of course, there's our new culture section bookmarked. Let's start off with travel bubbles which made the news here in Sri Lanka recently. That's right, Raisa. Now, uh, travel bubbles across the world were initiated last year as a result of the pandemic hampering air travel. Basically, it's a temporary uh, reciprocal agreement between two countries aimed at restarting commercial passenger flights. And Raisa, you refer to Sri Lanka. I, I think you're talking about um, William Dalrymple's great escape. <laughs> uh, it was Shubhanga who actually, uh, who, who saw Dalrymple's post before any of us and alerted us to it. Right, yeah. So there was this uh, Instagram post by the author William Dalrymple who made you know, news a few weeks back. So this was basically a post about him escaping from his farmhouse in Delhi to the coasts of Sri Lanka, thanks to the air bubble between India and Sri Lanka, right? And and a lot of people found the post insensitive. He deleted it pretty quickly and then apologized. And of course, we've also, you know, read reports of uh, affluent Indians taking these really expensive charter planes out of the country, just as the cases, you know, were kind of skyrocketing and, and flights were starting to be suspended. Um, but I think it also, you know, all of this raised a larger question about what these special highly restricted travel arrangements um, are. I mean, both the issue of how these travel bubbles have been organized and also who really are the beneficiaries of, of these arrangements. So, um, and I guess the picture is somewhat mixed in the region. Um, Shweta, you were looking at some of these around the around the region? Yeah, that's right. Um, so it appears that most of these air bubble agreements are centered around India's pact with 28 countries, including six South Asian countries. So, for example, in Sri Lanka, with the surge in infections and state hospitals experiencing a shortage of ICU beds, the Ministry of Tourism has postponed the launch of this proposed air bubble arrangement with India um, in light of all the criticism aimed at this. Right. And as a result of, you know, generally rising cases across the region, uh, some countries have already moved to suspend the agreements that they have with India. So apart from Sri Lanka, there's uh, Bangladesh as well, which is another example. Um, and in Bangladesh's case, them suspending the agreement has actually left some Kashmiri medical students stranded after they returned home. And they've been appealing to their government for help as their colleges have suddenly announced the date of their exams. But apart from, you know, Bangladesh, um, a number of countries outside South Asia have already restricted flights from India. And some of them include Hong Kong, UK, Dubai, and New Zealand, while other countries like the US and Singapore have issued travel advisories. And I think one uh, exception to this trend so far, at least, has been Nepal. Um, now, Nepal government has suspended all international air travel but with the notable exception of flights operating on an uh, air travel bubble agreement between 
India and Nepal. So there are two flights per week uh, between Kathmandu and Delhi run by the national flag carriers. Um, I mean, some people have commented that this does seem a bit odd given that both Kathmandu and Delhi have now emerged as COVID hotspots um, in South Asia. And, you know, the cargo flights and charter flights are still operational. So um, I think that's an interesting uh, case. Yeah, and I think, I guess one of the main problems with these bubbles is, you know, how do you ensure that these tourists, you know, stay within them? Uh, there are also other issues like, you know, laxed quarantine regulations, uh, fake documentations, you know, when it comes to PCR results and vaccine passports. There have also been reports of the conditions of the agreement being violated by travel companies, where travelers use the bubble to fly to a third country. Right, exactly, Marlon. So in Sri Lanka, we can see that ensuring cases of COVID-19 don't leak into the community has proved difficult in practice. Um, and part of this has been because the government has been so eager to accommodate tourists due to the much-needed income that they provide. We actually saw this from a much-lampooned pilot project with Ukraine. Mm. And yeah, right from the very beginning, you know, rules were kind of bent to accommodate these tourists who were coming in. And there were these certain guidelines in place. Um, for instance, there was a mandatory quarantine period and certain designated areas people could visit from within that bubble. But from the start, the quarantine period was kind of reduced for these tourists and yeah. the tourists themselves kind of deviated from the planned vehicles they were allotted and as a result, drivers were forced into quarantine and had to face losing income and things like that. So the pilot project actually ended up showing the difficulties involved in making these bubbles airtight, so to speak. More recently, of course, it's been reported that some Indian tourists who took advantage of this air bubble agreement with Sri Lanka have also tested positive subsequently. Um, and it's not clear yet how fast they were detected and where they have been sent for treatment. And another story to note would be, while Maldives is implementing strict travel measures, including a temporary suspension on Indian tourists for all but a handful of resort-only islands, last week the Indian Premier League's Australian cohort headed for the Maldives after the tournament was suspended. Right. And didn't some players, I think they tested positive for COVID, right? And before the suspension. Yeah, that's right. Um, back in April, when India's cricket board went ahead with the IPL defying all the social media criticism for having the tournament in, in the midst of the crisis in India. But the IPL had to be postponed on May 4th after multiple players tested positive for COVID-19 after the IPL bubble was breached. Uh, thanks, Shwetas. So, shall we move on to our Around South Asia in 5 Minutes section? So, I'll start with a quick overview on India's Assembly elections. In West Bengal, despite the BJP's aggressive campaigns, um, TMC won with Mamata Banerjee returning as Chief Minister for the third time. In Assam, BJP retains power, defeating a fragmented opposition. Puducherry as well, they elected a new government led by the BJP. The LDF won a historic second term in Kerala. Um, I'm saying historic because in a state that hasn't had an incumbent government power in over four decades, right. 
in Tamil Nadu, the DMK led by Stalin overthrew the ruling AIA DMK, um, forming a government after 10 years. Um, so, of course, the biggest political news out of Nepal at the moment is uh, Prime Minister Oli's defeat uh, at his confidence motion uh, this week. And now there's a scramble for the formation of a new government. Um, but there's also this major revelation regarding vaccine procurement, I think, which is worth mentioning. And it seems that over the past three months, uh, efforts to procure millions of new doses of Covishield from the Serum Institute of India was scuttled by their local agents in Nepal, who actually wanted a 10% commission for each dose. Uh, but also what seems like government's um, inability to directly deal with the, the manufacturers. So it seems, you know, given that vaccines from India will not be available soon, um, it seems China and Russia could be the main sources of vaccines, in not just for Nepal maybe, but for much of the region in the near future. Right. And meanwhile, in India, countries around the world were, you know, sending equipment, oxygen and ventilators to the country, you know, responding to the crisis that uh, has been making headlines around the world. And as many as 300 tons of supplies from 25 flights reached Delhi airport alone. But the newest story or the most recent story has kind of revealed that it ended up taking over a week for the government to begin deploying them to states despite the crisis situation in the country and despite hospitals calling for support. Um, and what's more, states have complained that they have no information on how these much-needed resources are being allocated and some states are saying that they have no idea when they'll receive supplies. In Afghanistan, violence has been flaring across the country. The latest attack was a series of blasts outside a school on Saturday, killing more than 50 female students and members of the Hazara community. Now, this attack took place a week after the May 1st deadline for the US and NATO forces to draw down. But with Joe Biden extending this deadline until September 11th, the Taliban states that American military presence after May 1st would represent a violation of the Doha Agreement and has threatened to attack U.S. forces in response. Now, over in the Maldives, uh, Mohammed Nasheed, the former president and current speaker of the parliament, was wounded in a bomb attack on the 6th of May. As of today, he's doing okay, uh, and the police has uh, arrested two individuals in connection with the attack. Um, also, uh, the 23rd of April marked the fourth year since the murder of the Maldivian blogger Yamin Rashid. So you can read our recently published piece by Aisha Rashid, uh, Yamin's sister, uh, who recounts the, the family's ongoing uh, protracted struggle to bring the perpetrators to justice. And Melo in Sri Lanka, the Colombo port city continues to be in the headlines. Now, the port city is this new financial hub being built on reclaimed land just off Colombo with Chinese capital. Um, most recently, uh, there was this bill that provided legal and economic structure to this special economic zone. And that has come under a lot of criticism, both for its economics, but also for uh, what critics claim would risk Sri Lanka's sovereign claims over it. The draft bill is now at the Supreme Court, and it's currently awaiting its clearance, uh, after which the parliament will vote on it. And moving on to our culture section, bookmarked. So, um, if you're sick of browsing through subpar Netflix shows, you know, I've got a treat of a TV show for you guys coming out of Pakistan. 
uh, Churels, directed by uh, Asim Abasi. Uh, it's been called the Female Justice League. Uh, now, I came across this while I was working on a piece about uh, about the Pakistani entertainment industry, uh, which will be published soon. And I think, Shweta, you, you also watched it uh, last year, I think? Yes, I came across the show back in October when Pakistan's Media Regulatory Authority restricted the show for its depiction of sexuality. Um, the show was restored later, but this incident really did expose some of the hypocrisy and systemic misogyny that's addressed within right. the show itself. Yeah, and there are lots of reviews on it that talk about what a groundbreaking show it was. I'll tell you what struck me the most. I liked how the the director, uh, he used a lot of uh, theatrical elements. You know, like certain scenes, you had like interior monologues and, you know, changes of lighting sequences which I felt, I mean, it, it seemed straight out of the stage. Um, and also, I mean, the use of burqa, you know, as, as armor and even like a, you know, like a superhero costume. It was very intriguing. Um, there's actually this scene, I think you might remember, where the Churels clad in burqas uh, and armed with hockey sticks, they, they clash with protesters. Yes, I thought that was really clever. And there's also a not-so-subtle nod to Rodar's lamb to the slaughter in a particularly gruesome scene. Um, not a spoiler. Oh, yeah. um, but through this show, I think Abbasi has started an important conversation um, where it kind of breaks away from the formulaically written South Asian female character we see in most television shows from the region. Um, I would say this is a must-watch, and I hope there's a second season. Yeah, I hope so too. And uh- and my favorite character is uh, Jugnu, you know, played by the brilliant uh, Yastra Rizvi. She's a wedding planner in the show. And I haven't told you guys, but at one point I was actually seriously considering being a wedding planner in Colombo. You know, you know, make milk in the rich, <laughs> <laughs> selling destination weddings and stuff. So, uh, what about you, Shweta? Who's your favorite Churel? Um, mine would be Meher Bano's character, Zubeda, the after-school boxer. Um because she's attuned to the kind of class hierarchies within the group and she questions why they're helping the rich housewives um, when the goal was to empower all women. Right. And Raisa, you have also started watching Churels, right? Now, it's only Shubanga who has not uh, succumbed to our peer pressure. Um, who's your favorite character so far? Um, I really did like uh, Zubeda too, but I also like the character Batul who's kind yeah. of cast as a villain right from the beginning. But the more you watch the show, the more you realize that she's somebody who's been wronged by the system right. and um, the kind of person that people would write stories like celebrating her resilience, which covers up the fact that she's, you know, gone through some systemic injustice. Um, and there's this really interesting confrontation similar to what Zubeda does um, at a point in the show where she also kind of questions um, the more privileged uh, people in the in this particular scene. She's kind of asking and questioning what justice looks like. And whilst her reasoning might be flawed, I think um, she also kind of brought up some of those really interesting tensions uh, within the group. Right. Yeah. So uh, apart from that, I mean, I've really been enjoying Churail's. But I also recently watched um, After Sabine, 
which is a documentary about the activist Sabine Mahmood and the aftermath of her death. Um, it's a very kind of personal take on Sabine's life and it kind of features interviews with her family and friends and explores her legacy. Um, it also tackles themes of grief and constraints on freedom of expression and women's freedom of movement in Pakistan. So while you guys have been watching Trudels, I um, recently watched um, this Marathi film called The Disciple. It's on Netflix and, and that's my recommendation for this month. Uh, it's basically the story of a young man training to be a vocalist um, in a Hindustani classical tradition. And so it's about his relationship with his teacher and, you know, kind of the oppressive nature of, of, of that uh, relationship. Um, I should also mention that the filmmaker Chaitanya Tamhane um, made this brilliant film called uh, Court a few years back, um, I think 2014. And this was about this really absurd and Kafkaesque trial of a Dalit folk singer, activist uh, in Mumbai. So I would recommend actually both both of these films. That's it for this edition of South Asia Sphere. Um, do head to our website, himalmag.com, to see the cartoons illustrating this episode by Gihandi Chikera. And while you're at it, check out our membership plans and support our work. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 For more Himal podcasts, go to himalmag.com slash podcasts.